0: Right now, though, uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show Duncan Bolivant, who is a former British Army officer and diplomat CEO of Henderson Risk Group as well. Duncan, you're welcome to the show. Um, I mean, a lot has happened since you and I last spoke. A lot has happened in Ukraine. A lot has happened in just the last 48 hours alone with the Russian abandonment of the one major city that they still had hold of, it seems. What is your assessment of what's happening?
1: well the last time we we spoke we we talked about general Surovkin who had who was just in the in, in the, pro, under the under undergoing the process of being appointed as putin's military supremo um for the campaign and i think um whilst we look at the the, the possible abandonment of Kherson by by russian forces and of course everybody's being very cautious and a little bit nervous about commenting on it because we're not entirely sure what's going on on the ground, and, and the Ukrainians are naturally um, suspicious of a trap. But it would appear that this is really Serovkin asserting his authority. Serovkin is 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 regarded very highly by the hawks in in Moscow as a man who 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 actually knows how to prosecute this war. He's a veteran of many campaigns on behalf of, of, of the Kremlin over the last 20-odd years. He's a hard man, and he's a man of great influence within the military system. And if he has determined that it is better for Russia to make a tactical withdrawal from Kherson, Kherson has no real strategic value to the Russian military campaign, but it is obviously highly symbolic. But if he feels that he can trade, the the loss of symbolism um, recovered Troops, twenty to thirty thousand estimated number Russian troops in in Kursan, bring them back over the river, reconstitute his forces, get the supply chains up and running, hold ground during the winter. Then he may be in a better position to uh, prosecute the war on more favourable terms and more favourable ground. So I, I'm I'm voting my my own take on this is that is that this is this is Russia. Mm doing doing the sensible thing from a military point of view, uh, um, but uh, I may be proved wrong.
0: I mean, because the, the temptation, I suppose, from people who are, who are willing Ukraine to victory is to see this in the context of you know, Russian disarray and chaos. You're sounding a much more ominous note.
1: I, I don't think it's... It, I think look, both sides have fought each other, not to a standstill, but both sides, are estimated to have lost in the region of 100,000 dead over the last few months 40,000 civilians have been killed towns and villages have been destroyed you know we know that the russians have run short of ammunition because they're buying ammunition from north korea they're buying ammunition from china they're they're stocking up with iranian made um pretty low cost drones to to try and prosecute a war against Ukraine's infrastructure. They are scraping the barrel in terms of trained manpower. You know, they're they're running out effectively of of trained professional soldiers. They're having they're having to use uh, conscripts of dubious age, fitness, uh, and and training. So Russia Russia is really you know Russia is really suffering from mm. this war. But Russia is a big country. It is resourceful, and it is probably prepared to go. Nose to nose and blow for blow with Ukraine for a few months. Yet, I don't think this should be seen as a, a collapse from Russia. Not not with Surovkin at the helm. He he's too canny, to experience and too experienced, and and too much in control for that to happen.
0: So, I mean, it, it will all, I assume, become clear in the next couple of days, will it? Uh, uh, based on what Ukraine does, whether it enters the city, the Ukrainian army, and how Surovkin then repositions his forces on the far bank of the river.
1: No, there's there's no doubt that the russians if if they leave Kherson, as it, as it would appear will leave behind booby traps mines they'll make it a difficult environment for for the ukrainians to operate in and they may well leave behind groups snipers um you know commandos to, to carry out raids at night etc et etc cetera, et cetera, et cetera. they're not going to give it up without a fight mm. but i think what it, what what the issue here is that from a strategic point of view they're pulling back enough troops that those troops that they can't afford to lose those troops you know they can't afford to lose 20,000 troops as as prisoners or surrounded because so soviet doctrine back in back in the old soviet days would have been not to have engaged in 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 our uh, conflict in kurson it would have been to bombard it with artillery which we know the russians are very are very fond of and possibly use chemical weapons to deny it to both sides and then simply bypass it there's no there's no military advantage to Ukraine in retaking Kherson. It's a it's political. It's highly symbolic. Mm. But as as I said previously, I think the balance for for Surovkin is to say, look, we're going to take a hit politically, but militarily it's worth it because it means that we recover, you know, twenty 000 to thirty thousand troops. We we can we consolidate our our, our, our supply lines, and we're ready to manoeuvre to attack in other areas.
0: So to what extent then, given the time of year, uh, Duncan, are both sides looking at the horizon, wondering when the winter clouds are going to blow in? I assume that grinds everything down to something of a halt, does it?
1: Well, it does at the moment because it's wet. It's raining, it's muddy. It, you know, armoured vehicles can't really move off roads. So right now, it's 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 getting to that stage where manoeuvre, uh, moving off the route of March, is becoming harder and harder and harder. Once the ground freezes, of course, that's a different, that's a different story. That then you, then you can move and manoeuvre. Okay. But also, once it freezes, you're into a different set of logistic challenges as well, such as food and water for the troops in the field.
0: And do we know how well prepared either side are for those logistic challenges? I know there was a lot of criticism of the Russian logistics early on, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Russia, Russia is highly dependent on railways. That, you know, their their entire sort of European uh, war fighting capability is based on railways. And also, uh, and it's strange that we're still talking about it, Russia's logistic support is, is frankly, um, a joke in comparison to perhaps NATO-trained armies. Russian Russian logistic um, material in terms of trucks, in terms of um Supply and a lot of it is based on living off the land, and a lot of it is based on operating out of out of railheads. Now the Ukrainians are a very different organisation, and I think one of the things we forget about the Ukrainian army is that you know an army of between eighty and ninety thousand strong, since since 2014 has been trained incredibly well in terms of planning, logistics, organisation on NATO on NATO lines. So I think I think also the other thing to bear in mind is that the attacker always has a slight disadvantage when it comes to logistics supply. Ukraine is fighting on home turf. They're fighting from the center out. So in terms of logistics and support and supply, Ukraine will probably have it slightly over Russia over the over the coming months. But let's let's not let's not ignore the fact that mm-hmm. Russia is more than capable of achieving localised victory from time to time through weighted numbers and artillery.
0: What will be the ask then from Ukrainians of of Western powers then uh, going into the winter? Like, where are the shortcomings in terms of resources and supplies that they will need?
1: They're going to demand more air air defence missiles. They're going to to demand more long-range artillery, shells and missiles for their multi-launch rocket systems. Because I want to keep the pressure on on Russia's supply lines and on and uh, on Russian prepared defensive positions. But I think politically, what is going to emerge over the next few months is, and we're beginning to see it now, uh, in terms of the the US's reluctance to escalate the type of weaponry it, it, it's giving Ukraine. Um, Putin is not is not attending the G20 summit. Allegedly, he fears a. A um, an assassination attempt, but I, I think that's really to avoid embarrassment. Um, it would suit it would suit both sides, in many ways, for there to be some kind of negotiated settlement at this point. I don't see the US or NATO countries supporting Ukraine, you know, to, to clear all territories of Russians if it means the war drags on for another two years. I think public public support. Um, and, and political will will wane. Economically, it's very draining, and there's going to have to come a point, and it may be coming sooner rather than later, where both sides need to talk.
0: Listen, Duncan, it's uh, always interesting to get your views on these type of things. Thanks a million for joining us. Duncan Bodivant is a former British Army officer and diplomat. He is CEO of Henderson Risk Group. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Coddy.
1: with Nissan weekdays
0: from four on News Talk.